Well, good morning, New City. It's good to be worshiping with you. It's been quite a week this past week. The U.S. Capitol was stormed, as I'm sure you're all aware, uh, by people who don't believe that the election that occurred to elect Joe Biden was legitimate. And as I've watched news reports and read articles about this, the thing that one of the things that has been most depressing to me uh, has been that there were for sure Christians who were among the group that were storming the Capitol. The day that people stormed the Capitol, there was a march or gathering going on called the Jericho March. I read about this actually before it even happened in Christianity Today, where the, you know, they were just reporting on its occurrence. And it was a prayer march where the participants were attempting to reenact what happened in the Old Testament story of Jericho with the walls of Jericho. And in the Old Testament story, the Israelites march around the walls of Jericho and then um, blow their horns and shout, and the walls come tumbling down, as I'm sure you remember from the song, and then they, they go in and capture Jericho. And so this Jericho march that was being reenacted this week, they were kind of going for the same thing. These people had gathered, and they were uh, marching and praying, and they had brought this, this old Jewish horn called a shofar, and they were, I guess, blowing those in, in the streets. And in the same way that there was a miracle in the Old Testament account of Jericho, these people were hoping for a miracle today. And the miracle that they were hoping for, the desire that they were asking God for, was that God would act to overturn the election and make Donald Trump the president. And they were so committed to this goal that then they participate in this violent act of storming the Capitol. And we all know that this is wrong. We're looking back and seeing all these horrific images. Many of us are still recovering from the shock of it. But the, the question that has lingered with me, the thing that I have been pondering, is how can Christians think that this is okay to, to be engaged in violence in order to secure power for Trump. Now, how is it, first of all, that they saw Donald Trump as the conduit of God's purposes in the world, but then secondly, that they're willing, they're so convinced that this is God's will that they're willing to engage in violent acts in order to make it come to pass. And as I pondered this question and sat with this this week, the, the awareness, the thing that I have been sitting with is that it's all about power. And that there's this undue attachment to power. Now, these people were idolizing power and were willing to be violent to get power or hold on to power or secure power. And so the question that I want us to consider today is what does healthy power look like? And how can you and I know when someone else is using power in a healthy or unhealthy way? And how can we know when we are using power in a healthy 
or unhealthy way. I know, I know for some of you, you may be wondering, is there a healthy way to use power? There's a lot of people who just feel uneasy about power. That, that saying by Lord Acton, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is the way many of us think about power, like it's just bad. It shouldn't have power. It's just what people do or try and get when they want to manipulate or control other people. That's not the whole testimony of the Bible. The opening chapter of the Bible, we learn that having power is essential to what it means to be a human being. And we're called to steward power. This is at the heart of the creation mandate, the first command or call or purpose that God gives to humanity. Listen Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves in the ground. So right there in the opening chapter of the Bible, we see this call to use power well. And in this passage, so essential is this call to use power well, that it is connected to the very fact that we are created in God's image. So to be image bearers means we reflect God in this world as we use power well. So that means that power is not inherently bad or evil. It's fundamentally a good thing that's core to being human created in the image of God. Let's consider an example of what good power looks like before we move on. This is an example of how when we use power well, it reflects God, or we image, or bear the image of God in using that power. Probably the best example of this is uh, parents. So parents have absolute power over their newborn children. And yet that power does not corrupt them. Having that power doesn't make them bad. For the vast majority of parents, that power summons up this deep responsibility that then is expressed through love. So in this situation, when a parent welcomes a newborn child into the world, all of a sudden they have this tremendous power, and for the vast majority of people, that then beckons love up from our soul. It doesn't corrupt, it invites us to use our power in the way of love. My family and I, we did a family movie night last night, and we watched the movie Safety on Disney+. And it's about this Clemson football player who gets a scholarship to go play football at Clemson as a promising career in front of him. But then his mother uh, ends up in prison and rehab. And so then he ends up bringing his little brother onto the college campus, sneaks him onto campus, hides him in his dorm room. Um, and it's, as I was watching this film, I was reminded of what a great example this is of a person using power well. He used his power to express love and to care and provide for his younger brother. And in this way, through his acts of sacrificial service, he bears, 
He, he reflects God's likeness. He's an image bearer of God. So power is not universally bad. It's, it's, it's inherent to what it means to be human. And it's something that we're called to steward in these ways. But it's obviously also the sort of thing that we can misuse. So let's think of a parent again. So that parent who's first awakened to love by having this absolute power over a newborn child might later in that child's life be driven to misuse this power as the child grows into adolescence and adulthood. Variety of reasons why this could happen. Maybe fearful of the, losing the child, the child's leaving, either emotionally or relationally, or just moving out of the house. And this parent might use or abuse the role that they have as a parent, their parental power, to control a child, keep them from leaving, or, or get them to do what they think is the right thing to do. Usually there's some deep vulnerability that's being triggered in the parent. Maybe they're afraid that as the child moves out into life, they're going to fail, and so they feel like they need to control the child. Triggered by this own potential failure, maybe that's reminding them of their own failures. Whatever the reason, when a parent seeks to control a child, violating that child's will, they're abusing their power. And when that happens, the parent's doing violence against the child. And this happens oftentimes. I mean, most parents will recognize at some point in time in our parenting lifetime, we will do this because we're human and we make mistakes. But it happens in so many other areas of our lives. We bump up against people with power, and then for some reason, out of their woundedness, then they will do something to, to abuse that power over us, to meet some need that they have and leave us hurt and wounded. Maybe you recognize places where you've done this. In the business world, maybe an executive does this, uses the leverage or power that they have over an employee who disagrees with them by threatening their job security. Any person who has money or status or influence can maybe use their power. Treating a waitstaff or a retail workers poorly or getting them to do what you want because of your financial resources. Whenever we raise our voices at our spouses or our children or at employees or Uber drivers or anybody we're working or we're interacting with who's working because we, and think that we can get away with it because of privilege, we're acting in a way that reveals we have this trust in power to protect us or to get us what we need or want. And, and we're using a violent act of coercion or manipulation or control or emotional abuse, so many different ways we can do harm to another person to keep our power secure. So there's lots of ways that we come up against power or we use power ourselves, meet some inner need. And what strikes me about our passage for today is how clearly it lays out these two examples of healthy and unhealthy uses of power. It's in multiple individuals' stories. There's all these different power dynamics at play in our passage. But it's clear that 
In some people, power is being used very healthy, and in other people, power is being used in extremely unhealthy ways. So the opening verses is about the Magi. These are powerful people. It's not clear exactly what a Magi is. There's a bunch of different ways that the word can be translated, but it, in all likelihood, they're advisors or wise men who held positions of power because of their wisdom and then also probably wealth and treasures. It's interesting in Luke's story, which is the one we typically read on Christmas Eve, who are the people who come and worship Jesus? It's the poor shepherds. But in Matthew's verses, it's the verse right before the one that Chris read for us, Jesus is born. The very next thing that happened is the Magi come. So Luke is recording the, the way that the shepherds come and worship Jesus. But Matthew is recording these powerful people being drawn to him, giving this context. And it's almost as if he's saying, hey, for those of you who have power in this world, look at, look at the Magi. Look how they respond to the birth of Jesus. They surrender their power to Jesus. They bow down before him and offer their treasures. So they're symbolically submitting. They have all this worldly power, maybe best symbolized by their treasures, and they're laying it at the feet of Jesus. Model for us how to hold worldly power as Christians. Then another example of power, you have Herod. He's like a textbook case of a leader who misuses power. He's self-absorbed. And, and when he hears about this amazing experience of, of God coming down and being born in the person of Jesus, this divine birth, he doesn't rejoice. He doesn't lay down, bow down before him like the majesty. He gets anxious because he has come to see power as something that will keep him safe. And it's got to be guarded at all costs, even the use of violence. So he orders his henchmen after he finds out the Magi outwitted him. They go and kill all the children in the region who are under the age of two. I read various accounts of how many people this actually would have been, but the Bethlehem and surrounding vicinity is estimated to have been a population of about a thousand people. So after accounting for child mortality, infant mortality rates at that time, scholars suggest that this is probably a number around 20. Herod killed 20 toddlers to protect his throne. What kind of person feels threatened by two-year-olds? This is a person who is clinging to power and trusting in power. This is consistent with what we know about Herod. Not too long, around, it's kind of around the same time that this occurred, he killed his own wife and two sons. Ruling was a family affair, and, and he felt threatened by those closest to him, so he eradicated them. He is the quintessential person, quintessential example of a person willing to commit violence in order to secure power. There's something about the human soul that can become like this. It can come to trust and power, cling 
to power. Be willing to harm others to not have their power threatened. Another example of power, Joseph. When he learns about the threat to his family, he relocates them. He becomes this refugee. He has to flee his country to Egypt. And lastly, we see God or Jesus, how he uses power, how he holds power. And in a word, he has none. He's a baby. Not like a baby born to royalty. He's born into this poor working class family, living in a land ruled by a corrupt king. And so we see all these different power dynamics at play in our passage. And what we always do when we we cling to power or grab hold of power is we always think we need that power in order to accomplish good purposes, to keep us safe, to, to have the good things or right things happen in life. We need power. This is how everybody always justifies power. But what we see in this passage is that God's purposes, the good, the just, the true, the beautiful purposes, are being accomplished in the life of Joseph and the Magi and Jesus despite them either releasing power, like the Magi did, or not having any power, like Joseph and Jesus. You and I, in in our human reasoning, often think we have to first go and get power, then with our power we can make an impact in the world. And we always think about going and getting power along these worldly lines of things like wealth or status or strength. We need money to make an impact in the world. We need status to to have our voice be heard and get people to listen to us. We need strength so that other people can't bowl us over, so that we can stand up and get things done. But Jesus has none of these things, and God's purpose is still being accomplished. No one can say that Jesus didn't change the world or have an impact. But what stands out about Jesus is that he didn't have these traditional sources of power. He didn't have wealth. He didn't have status. He didn't have strength. He's so vulnerable. He's so, in the eyes of the world, powerless. And this isn't just now, when he's a baby. This marks his entire life story. As we go through these passages about Jesus, we consistently see Jesus doesn't have power. He's so vulnerable. He simply is comfortable in this vulnerability not to pursue these other avenues of power. And this still, though, even though he has none of these traditional sources of power, He makes this huge impact on those around him and changes the world because of this commitment to live in the way of love, this vulnerable, sacrificial way of love. So in our passage, as people live in this way of love, we see Matthew specifically listing the way that God is still accomplishing his purposes. So in verses 9 through 11, we read this. Well, this is about the Magi. After they heard the king, they went their way, And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary bow down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so this is 
of fulfillment of prophecy. And even though Jesus is in this precarious position, even though He's so vulnerable, God's purposes are still being accomplished. Rulers are bowing down at His feet He's, um, as these magis come and worship Jesus. And then a few verses later, we again see God's purposes being fulfilled. Verses 14 through 15. This is Joseph. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And this is getting at a theme. One of God's purposes is that Jesus would recapitulate the story of Israel. So all the ways that Israel was supposed to be God's child, God's son, and faithfully obey their father, and all the ways that Israel failed, Jesus is going to reenact. And we'll see this theme coming up over and over throughout the life of Jesus. He is the one true Israel. So he's reenacting this story. He's called out of Egypt in the same way that Israel was originally called out of Egypt. So even though Herod has all this worldly power in Jesus' family, they kind of just look like pawns being moved back and forth in a play by, owned by powerful people, we still see God's purposes are being fulfilled in the world. In the midst of Jesus' weakness and vulnerability, God is still accomplishing His purposes in the world. And again, this continues to be a theme throughout all of Jesus' life. He has the power to change the world. He has this huge impact on the world, but it's not because of this worldly power, wealth, status, strength, it's because he is committed to living in this way of love. He knows that he is loved by the Father. And he lives in the way of love towards others. So he, he, he is open and vulnerable and, and free to be weak. Unafraid to be weak. And this is so impactful on the people around him that he changes the world. And this is clear throughout his whole life and ministry. And it culminates ultimately in the cross, this incredibly vulnerable act, but also the same place that God is accomplishing His ultimate purposes. There's this clear reversal in the life of Jesus about power and changing the world and how they're the exact opposite from how you and I typically think about making an impact in the world by going out and getting worldly power. Jesus is changing the world in the exact opposite way through vulnerability and through weakness and through love and sacrifice. And my hope throughout this sermon series is that as we read these stories of Jesus, that we would learn from Him. The word disciple simply translated means learner in the following sense. We learn as we follow another's example. And so the clear invitation today for you and me is to follow Jesus' example in the way that he uses power. To notice what happens in our soul around power. Power in others and power that we ourselves have. And basically what our passage is laying out for us is there's two paths that we can go with power. We can go the way of Herod who trusted in power, who was clinging to power as a way that he could guarantee the right things would happen in the world. He could guarantee the right purposes, the good purposes were happening in the world. 
He could only be sure that the right things would happen if he himself held on to power. And he clung to this power so tightly that he was willing to do harm, coerce, manipulate, perpetrate violence against those closest to him in order to secure and hold on to that power. That's one way, the way of Herod. Or we can go the way of Jesus. And we can rely on the power of love, surrender our attachment to these worldly powers, and trust that God is always at work and accomplishing His purpose as we commit to the way of love. Whenever we're discerning between these two forms of power, the unhealthy Herod power and the healthy Jesus power, also um, seen in the life of the Magi and, and Joseph, we can think of these, these two ways. Whenever we're trying to discern power, we can think of these two examples. And in the coming days, I think you know, we're going to be invited into that. I read this morning an article that there are political leaders drafting articles of impeachment, and the charge against Donald Trump is abuse of power. Abuse of power. And so as Christians, the thing that we can pray about and discern, you know, especially if you're considering going to a capital for a protest or even to riot, the question is, how is our president using power? Is it in the way of Herod? Or is it more like Jesus? Is he using force, coercion, violence to hold on to power? Or is he willing to be vulnerable? See, he leads from this posture of sacrificial love. You're wondering, as a Christian, where to stand? Take those questions, these two ways to hold power, to prayer. That's not just a question for when we're discerning how power is being used by others, political leaders or those in our lives. This is the question you and I must ask of ourselves. Whenever we're discerning how to use our own power, and we all have power, so we all have the capacity to love, there are these two distinct paths. Excessive love of self and self-protection, the way of Herod, or the sacrificial love of others, the way of Jesus and Joseph and the Magi. As I discern my own use of power, do I look more like Herod? Emotionally abusive, yelling, coercive, controlling towards others. Or self-sacrificial, rooted in love, vulnerable because of that love. And one of my favorite prayers for doing this work of discernment around my own power in really small things like interaction with family to, to larger things like how do I spend my money or how do I uh, relate to other people outside of my family, things that I'm responsible for. One of the, the prayers that's really helpful for me in this work of a sermon is the welcoming prayer, which we've talked about in the past. If you want the whole thing, I can send it to you. But I just want to highlight one line, which you can use this one line, as whenever you're trying to 
um, do this work of discernment about power. I often, I'll I'll find some, I'll I'll notice that there's some tension in me. And I want to welcome that tension and pay attention to where it's coming from or, or some other negative emotion or something. And I can then pray this prayer as I start to notice that maybe I'm frustrated with another person because they're not doing what I want them to do. I pray this prayer. I let go of power and control. And I open myself to God's action and presence within. I let go. And I have to say these. I'm consciously letting go of power and control. And then I'm opening my spirit, my soul, to what God is doing. This is so helpful to me because what it's saying is that God is always at work. God's purposes cannot be thwarted. But they don't depend upon me securing power first in order to accomplish his purposes. God's purposes can't only be accomplished after I gain wealth or status or strength. God is already at work. And as I let go of this pursuit of power and control, then I can can open myself up to the way of love and notice how God is already at work in my life. And I promise you, and I can join God in that work, and I promise you that, that, that God's work is never to control other people. It's never to manipulate or to be violent or to coerce other people. God's purposes are always rooted in the way of love. So as I let go of my need to have power and control other people, I open myself up to participate in a powerful, much more powerful way of vulnerable, sacrificial love of others. So that is the invitation that I discern. I invite you to join me in letting go of worldly power and control and choose to open ourselves to God's presence and action within us. Live in this way of love. Let's pray. God, would you help us to discern how we can join in your purposes, use our power, our capacity to love, to participate and join you in accomplishing your purposes in the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.